Well, it's another Nameless Waypoint Plus podcast about a movie. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, with Patrick Kleppen, and we have a special guest for a very special topic. Today, we're discussing Ivan Reitman's 2014 football propaganda film, Draft Day. So who else should be joining us but our frenemy from the NFC North, IGN's Cat Bailey. Hello, everybody. Frenemy. Is it a friend friend of me when they're when they're stuck at this point they're stuck with Kirk Cousins? I don't know that I, I feel like we could take them off the front of you uh, list. I feel like that they're doing just this, doing this. Oh. Leave me alone about Kirk Cousins. It's been my cross to bear for the past five years now, and it's never gonna end. Plexiglass man. I was gonna say it can bear a cross, but not a vaccine. <laughs> uh brutal. So uh cards on the table. Mm-hmm. I used to think this movie was the silliest piece of like corporate approved propaganda garbage this side of United Passions, uh, the FIFA uh, propaganda film they made about themselves, which I need to see, I think, actually. But anyway, this is a movie that tries to present Draft Day as the most magical day in football. It's basically like those rom-com holiday movies they made can a series I, of. A, but it's I'm going to interrupt. Can I ask a question? Is this yeah, the implication from your statement that um, you've seen this before? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Was it on an airplane? So I might have seen it twice before. <laughs> so I might have. Okay, so you've watched this movie three times. <laughs> I had to refresh myself. Uh, yeah, once uh, on a plane, I watched part of it. Okay. Uh, once a number of years ago where I was like, that didn't seem so bad on a plane. Let's see if it's okay. <laughs> and then last night, just to refresh myself. Um, okay. All right. Just wanted to, mm, you know, just if we're putting cards on the table, I just wanted to make sure all the cards I wish I had, had to put that one down, honestly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I always thought like, who, who really cares about draft day? Like it's a, it's a dull off season appetizer before summer camp. And we're all just really waiting for the main event. Like I know there are people who really do like care about this stuff on that level. But I think for me as a fan, it never really did matter much. And the, the spectacle of draft day, I always found kind of unbearably boring. I couldn't stand it until this year when the plot of draft day basically happened to bears fans in real life and the bears drafted justin oh, fields oh is this is this just an extended like two hour yeah yeah we got justin fields let's talk about how we got justin fields well this yeah can't that podcast well came and out. tevin jenkins which it see this is the thing on draft night it seemed awesome i was like oh my god it's all coming together it's real draft day like draft day santa claus has visited um <laughs> and the bears are going to be good again and so suddenly I was like, maybe that movie was right. Maybe that movie it does understand something about about draft day. Uh, and I am curious if, you know, I think for, for me, at least, that was the first time I felt like draft day had changed the trajectory of a franchise. It, it changed my feelings about a season. And I'm curious, uh, Kat, if you've ever had such a draft day. You ever had that experience of going in feeling one way about a team and then draft night comes along and you come out feeling completely differently. Sit back and I will tell you a tale. The year is 2014 and we have just hired a fresh new coach named Mike Zimmer, who still has both of his eyes. And on draft night, there are a couple of quarterbacks on the board. One of them is Johnny Manziel 
who's like mm. running around and kind of crazy. And you're like thinking, wow, he could be a fun Viking. There are a lot of Vikings fans who want him because we're coming off the Christian Ponder experience. It's very bad. Oh, right. Very, very bad. Oh, I want right. Teddy Bridgewater because I'm sitting here going, he's going to be the next Peyton Manning. Like everybody's talking about how he's so amazingly smart. He can go through all of his progressions. He's great under pressure. This will be awesome. We're going to get Teddy. I want Teddy. He's the guy. Right. And that whole night I'm sitting here going, Please, God, don't draft Johnny Manziel. There's that moment where Jerry Jones literally had to be like bludgeoned and knocked out to keep from drafting him for the Cowboys. There's that moment where he's dropping down the board and then the Browns trade up and the Vikings apparently had tried to trade up for Johnny Manziel themselves. (laughs) And then finally, at the end of the night, pick 32. Sorry, I'm trying to remember how many NFL teams there are. Some fan I am. Suddenly, the Vikings dra- like trade up. They got Teddy Bridgewater. I instantly bought the jersey. I'm like, this is it. Wow, you're one of those. Mike Zimmer, oh, that's incredible. Teddy Bridgewater, they're winning the Super Bowl. I, I put a reminder on the calendar, five years. Will the Vikings <laughs> have won a Super Bowl? <laughs> and I got that calendar reminder. I'm like, what the hell? Oh, my <laughs> God, no. <laughs> so that's what that can become. Is your quarterback of the future's knee exploding? On the other hand, you're not Vikings fans. You're Bears fans. You've actually won a thing. So Justin Fields might work out. You will see. Well, see, the thing is, the Bears have won a thing in what amounts to, like, the prehistory of the modern NFL. Like, night, like, and I, like... 1985 was so long ago. I was born in 1985. I've, like, all I've heard is about... That fucking team, as, <laughs> like for my entire life, as like every year, Mike Ditka gets a little more racist and like makes it like a little less likable, like of 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 an era of, of Bears football. I was gonna say, what's it like to be a fan of a team that forms its entire identity around around one event, one year? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it was. I mean, we didn't even win the Super Bowl the year that we form our identity around, which is the year that Gary Anderson missed the kick. With Randy Moss and everything. But, I mean, I see 85 bear stuff. That's all I ever see. It's everywhere. Yeah, well, it's weird because, like, you know, it's 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 one of those things that is, like, partially defined by Chicago sports culture and then also broader, you know, like the, the Chris Farley sketches. Like, there are things that, like, mm-hmm. elongated that in, like, the Chicago, like, the broader, like, sports, like, when you think of Chicago mindset but it also gets mixed up with the whole like the Bulls run as like, oh, like that's just part of a long, <laughs> you know, history of Chicago sports being great. And it's like, well, to, you know, it just depends. Yeah, I mean, I, it's weird because I didn't get into I didn't get into the Bears until the middle of the Jay Cutler era, despite the fact that my family was deeply intertwined with the NFL. My dad, you know, my dad being at one point the, the VP of Riddell sports, like who like makes all the equipment for the NFL. And oh. also, um, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, reject that as much as I just didn't care. Um, I mean, to the point, I mean, cat, these are things that, uh, I I'm deeply shameful of as an adult that I cannot, could not appreciate at the time. You know, my dad went to soldier field all the time just to go. He would smuggle us onto the field, he would take us into the locker room by uh, putting us into the laundry carts, into the laundry bus, 
we would sit in that before they picked up the clothes because my dad's proposition was, well, once you're in there, I can get you out. It's just hard for me to get you in. And he would, <laughs> he would I'm pretty sure the first time that I saw a, f- a group of fully naked men was when my dad didn't warn me or my brother and we just appear in a locker oh room God. and just the entire Chicago Bears team is naked in front of me and I wasn't quite sure uh, what, what to make it. At one point uh, when I was younger, I uh, they don't let you do this anymore. Um, but when they were kicking the field goal, like I pulled up the like the net like on one of the sides and got to do that for a game and was completely bored. Like didn't want to be there, didn't want to do it. It's terrible. I'm like I'm f- furious, furious at myself for the things that I had. Had I just asked my father, I would love to go do X, Y, Z. Be like, oh, finally, a son cares about the access I have, and I. And I just I just didn't. So it's like weird because I came in at a later period where my wife was a diehard fan and she's the one who would drag me to the bar, at, you know, in my in my 20s to go watch the Bears. And then I at some point was like, well, if I'm going to sit here and uh, watch this sport, I'd like to understand what's going on. And then like her and I switched places where I like went off the deep end under trying to understand and, you know, learn about football, got into fantasy and she was just like, I just like to watch the Bears lose. Um, so that's that's well, where, she's that's had a lot of that. Over yeah, the past well, no, she, 20 years. Yeah. Well, she's very excited for uh, probably the only person excited for Andy Dalton to play on, on Sunday night, uh, strictly because it's a Sunday night game. And then at halftime, when inevitably it's clear they're going to lose, she can just go to bed early. Um, be like, Well, I watched the game. Um, but why, why should I watch that second half? And that is the, that is the life of a, of a, a tried and true a Bears fan who's, who's been through it all. Smoking Jay Cutler kindled your love of football. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I cannot defend Jay Cutler, the human being, but no. Robin, you know, I've, we frequently said you put. Did you hear any of mm-hmm. that? Uh, yes. Can you come play with me now? Can I come lay with her? All right, I'm going to pass the baton of this podcast for 10 minutes. You guys, you, the two of you can talk, and I'm, I'm going to go lay, lay with my daughter for a couple of minutes. Aww. I apologize. Yeah. So the thing I would say is um, in terms – so my – I was so tuned out of the Bears uh, heading into this draft day that I was just like, I had hit such a point of disgust with the team. I mean, why would you? I mean, think about how the last season ended, right? I mean, you were like, oh, congrats. You made the playoffs. You're stuck with these guys for a while longer. You're coming off the Trubisky experience. It was a terrible time to be a fan. Yeah. And like, there was just no, no light at the end of the tunnel. And like their, their books were a mess. They're carrying a lot of bad (laughs) contracts. And I was like, they're just, they are going to be bad for years. They're going to go move to the suburbs or something with that stadium. Oh, don't even get. So, you know, that stadium is like relatively close to where Patrick lives. Uh, So he's actually praying for, this deal to go through because basically that would move it into get drunk and just walk back from the stadium uh, range oh, uh, for no. him. So he's okay. So he's pulling hard uh, for, for the, the bears to move out there. Um, But I, so I, I given up on this team uh, and then this draft day happened where I had followed. I knew there were a lot of really 
interesting quarterbacks in the draft class. But the Bears didn't have good picks. Like, they'd curse themselves with mediocrity, right? So they were just too good to get the high draft picks. And so it's like, there's this is all irrelevant to us. But what I counted out was Gittleman in New York um, being all in on Daniel Jones and being willing to trade down uh, out of Justin out of Justin Fields range, basically, uh, for the Bears to snap up Justin Fields. And then there was the whole weird thing of Justin Fields coming in as the clear like number two pick in some ways. But then that weird thing of where people overanalyze and discuss endlessly and you see a guy just for some reason move down the order because everyone – I mean, the Bears did this with Trubisky where they outsmarted themselves mm-hmm. where it's like, you know what we should do? We should find the diamond in the rough with this incredibly strong draft pick uh, we've got. So I, I'd given up on this team and then this draft day happened and it was magical. I think the the only other time when I have been convinced that like, oh, the Super Bowl's in the bag – is when the Cutler trade went through um, uh, with Denver. That's yeah. where I remember I was sitting with some friends in Boston. They were from Chicago as well. And we were just sort of basking in it where it was, you know, like well before the season started. And we were just like, well, t- like there's no stopping this team. Like, you know, uh, you know, top five defense, uh, finally a franchise quarterback. Uh, the Bears are just going to steamroll the league. And, and the that weird was the thing same is, year that Favre came to the Vikings, and he colored through all those interceptions, and then oh, yeah. Favre threw the interception when it mattered most, and we both lost. <laughs> well, yeah, but Favre threw that though after the the Saints had basically been headhunting him, right? Like, I mean, he was pretty knocked to yes. shit. I mean, yeah. the Vikings fumbled and threw interceptions like crazy, and the yeah. the Saints were dirty as all heck. And the Vikings yeah. sold their soul for that one year. And then the next year, it was the Bears and the Packers, and our roof was collapsing. Yeah. That was, that's the experience of being a Vikings fan right there. Yeah, I mean, I think when – see, the thing is for me, in, in, my, in my head, I always think the Vikings are, are pretty great because I, I still, in my heart, oh, I you. still li- live in the Denny Green years in some <laughs> ways. Where like, that team – was full of badasses, but also they had just the nastiest attitude and I hated them at the time. But it, in retrospect, it was pretty funny. The contempt with which they treated the bears uh, in those years where I just, I hated the Vikings because the Vikings more than anyone else dismantled the bears in a way that seemed very pointed, right? Like Chris, Chris Carter would get a hold of that secondary and just rip it apart. Like, uh, you know, a, a dog with a chew toy, basically just who, <laughs> el- who else you got back here to try and stop me? Nobody. Okay, cool. Pretty much my entire life. Uh, I've been following the Vikings in the NFL since 98 when Randy Moss came into the league and et cetera, and they went 15 and one. So it was a heck of a time to get started with the Vikings yeah, and my experience the the Bears have been to the Super Bowl since then, and yeah. I've had some good years. But by and large, my mental snapshot of the Bears has always been that team that isn't very good but is really annoying to play. Like yep. I can guarantee that no matter how good the Vikings are, they're going to go into Soldier Field. It's going to be a Monday night. It's going to be freezing. The turf is going to be crap and horrible, and people are going to be oh, yeah. twisting their knees and everything. 
and it'll be an absolutely hor- shambolic 14 to 12 loss by the Vikings that will make me question why I ever watched this stupid sport. Yeah, that's and I and I, I would say this is not that far off from my read on the Bears, which is that even the years where the Bears have been like quote unquote good. If you watch those games, it's not good football a lot of the time, right? Like, um, you know, the the year where the Bears went to the Super Bowl against uh, Indy and kind of got shown up there. I think what a lot of people don't remember, they remember that, that, that defense being great, which it was, but also that was a team that existed on flukes and miracles. Um, and so, like, even as a Bear fan at the time, you know, we were being quarterbacked by Rex Grossman, sort of a notorious bust. The sex um, cannon. Yeah, exactly. So, like, how could you feel good about that? Like, it was just, it was kind of just waiting for, like, well, they're going to, you know, they're going to fail the final exam, right? But you had um, Devin Hester doing cool things, right? And oh, God, crazy yeah. defense. They always had really good defenses, so. Yeah, great defense. And, yes, uh, there were characters like Devin Hester who... Devin Hester is one of those players that looks like a video game character. Like, and, and uh, he, he was like, what was it? Like 99 speed in Madden. Oh, yeah. um, just ridiculous acceleration. And so, yeah, like there was always fun good th- for at least one return against the Vikings. I, I, every time Devin Hester took that thing out of the end zone, I was like, well, here we go. It was, it was, that was the other part that was so improbable about that season is there were so many games where the Bears just got spotted seven points because Devin Hester would just do something miraculous, um, and that's just not supposed to happen. Like it was the definition of a team that was going to regress the next season. Um, so yeah, I, I think this has like been my relationship to a lot of the to the team, a lot to a lot of the offseason stuff. But and I think what I want to get to here is I don't know how you feel about your front office, but in my lifetime. Hmm. The Bears front office has not been good. Uh, it's basically a family business, right? Like they're a very old school NFL franchise in some ways. Like they're still run by uh, the McCaskies. Very um, old money. Yeah. Old, like old NFL down money. To other owners who are not in that kind of old money kind of regime to the point that it's actually kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, and the funny thing there is they're old NFL money. Like the funny thing is they're, 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 they're old money in the in the classic sense too of they're not wealthy compared to a lot of the like newer team owners. Like you've got, you know, these these massive billionaires buying into the NFL. The McCaskies kind of just inherited this from the founding of the NFL. And so they've got this really all NFL teams are worth billions, basically, but like that's not money that the McCaskies have in their pocket. And so there's kind of this NFL royalty thing that they've got, but that's also meant in my life. There's always been somebody in that fucking family calling the shots there. Like it was at its worst. I think when like Ed McCaskey in the nineties was like, I'm just going to run the team myself and like made like basically uh, busted up like the great bears teams of the eighties and uh, sort of, uh, led to a shambolic early nineties. And when they finally got him out of there, there were still, there were still McCaskies higher up in the organization. They're picking their people. Can't get rid of um, them. They're just you turn around a freaking rock. It's like, Oh, there's another McCaskey. Yeah. And, and, and like in this off season, uh, you know, the, when the front office had clearly kind of uh, screwed up, 
they had this horrible press conference where they were like, well, we all really like each other and it's a great office culture. And so we're not going to change anything, even though we put together the most embarrassing postseason performance this year of any team in the NFL. But like, so this has been the story of like me and the bears to, to some extent is why would I get excited about draft day when this is actually where the team is at its worst? Like if there's, if there's anything the bears are good at, it's kind of overperforming the mediocre ingredients that they're often starting the season with um, because of these, these terrible like front office decisions. And so I made it to the playoffs because the Vikings were just that bad last year. Like the Vikings probably could have made the playoffs, but their defense was just in shambles. And so the bears just kind of somehow staggered into the playoffs in ways that I could never really quite understand. But I was laughing at the Bears when the season ended. I was like, "Oh well, they're not—they're they're nothing. They'll—they'll keep—keep going on being the Bears." And now, the—the the narrative is completely flipped. I tried to get Justin Fields in my fantasy draft and missed him by two picks, and my heart was legit broken. And now I'm looking back on it, and I'm like, "The Vikings could have had Justin Fields. Justin Fields could have been on my team. Oh my God, this is going to haunt me for the next ten years. It really is going to." Well, and, it's, and not so great, is, it's not great, Rob. It's not great. And so this is the thing that I think makes draft day kind of an appealing movie in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like I get it more now because the thing the about fresh draft start at the end. Yeah, like the thing yeah. about draft day is that so the, the just to give listeners an outline of this movie and 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 why it is kind of really. Decently executed. It's an Ivan Reitman film, but like still, it's like classic sports schmaltz. It is Very this mid '90s in its execution in many ways. Oh, super! Like this, this thing feels like they stopped rolling on Jerry Maguire and just went <laughs> straight into this. Is, is how it feels. Um, but yeah, the idea behind this is so the movie is set in Cleveland. It's set around the Cleveland Browns and already they have to do some interesting, um, they have to do some interesting stuff around the Browns to sort of create the sense of history. Because of course, famously the Browns lost their history when the team moved out of town and immediately won a Super Bowl uh, as the Baltimore Ravens. And so the, the first move that draft day kind of has to do is try to conjure the sense of this is an old NFL franchise with some classic gridiron history, but also it also tries to acknowledge that the team left. And so this is all part of the sad sack history of Cleveland sports. But not only that mythologizing Cleveland in its own way as the Rust Belt town that everybody kind of overlooks, but they got their sports teams and they're, that's all that really matters. They got the NFL. Yeah. And God, that's the thing. Like everything about this movie, like it opens with this panegyric to Cleveland. It's most solid. Like the opening of this movie is like somebody from Cleveland sits down next to you at a bar. And within seconds, you realize you wish you'd chosen a different seat or something because it's immediately (laughs) like, let me tell you about our tales of woe. Um, Have y'all actually been to Cleveland? That's what I'm curious about. Uh, I have, I, I'm back. My child's asleep. Hi, welcome um, back. thank you. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I had, uh, f- uh, my grandmother 
lived in or my, my dad's side of the family spent a lot of time in Ohio. They moved out, but then my grandmother stayed in uh, not like downtown Cleveland, but like some suburb that I, you know, could not pluck out of the top of my head. But we like drove through Cleveland occasionally. And so like I spent time there, but like I, my memories of that are, you know, are probably more embedded with like media portrayals of you know <laughs> of cleveland as you know a, a place of the working joe uh you know of a, of a dying culture than it is uh like actual memories of having time spent there specifically yeah i've i like i think i've spent an afternoon there um and that's it like <laughs> well, what's this afternoon that you spent there uh yeah how does honestly, one spend you know, an afternoon <laughs> So like, I, like it, it just it made no impression on me whatsoever. It was mm. like a day of like wandering uh, fast food joints and like coffee shops, like waiting for a bus. Uh, that was basically my day in my afternoon in Cleveland. Uh, it's um, also uh, worth noting this this movie when I was reading about it afterwards, uh, like was originally about the Bills and then would yes. be written to be about the Browns because it was cheaper to shoot in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's like one of the credits for it. Uh, Yeah. uh, Which, I mean, again, you know, that that stuff is like, you know, fairly normal. But like there are probably few movies where that change then becomes like so hyper specific to like the foundation of the script. Um, It's like the Simpsons bit, Flim Cleveland. Hey, they must, (laughs) they don't even need a full page ad. It's right there. (laughs) So wait, so do you have a Cleveland history here, Kat? Absolutely not. I've never been to Cleveland. <laughs> I've never set foot in the state of Ohio. However, I do know a lot of people from Ohio and Cleveland specifically. And there is a weird way in this country, no offense to people from Ohio, of talking about Ohio a lot, which Hang has on. always Cap- struck me as very strange because it's a very large state, but otherwise has never rarely crosses my mind unless people are talking about it as <laughs> the Rust Belt state. Okay, Rust Belt State, but yeah, no. So yeah, no. I've never set foot in Cleveland, and I don't really intend to anytime soon. Hang on, Kev. This is gonna this is gonna drive me nuts. Did you work with Bill Abner at Game Shark? No. Okay. Uh, because you trying was, to like pluck like people who talk about Cleveland out of your head. It came I, up a lot. With Bill <laughs> I think of the Cleveland tourism video. Uh, that's, that's what I think of when I think of Cleveland and, you know, I've read plenty of pans to the history of Cleveland and how it had, uh, kind of its, its boom in the 1950s and has a lot of history, specifically baseball history and things well, like that. Well, it's also shoved, all- it's also politically shoved down our throats yes. every oh, four definitely. years. Yes. So, uh, you know, I mean like Ohio, despite like deeply leaning like, you know, red in, you know, like the past 10 years with like, like one blip with, with Obama, uh, like otherwise, like that's, I think that's part of it. It's just like constantly Ohio is coming up as like one of those states in, in that context. And so, um, where the real also, Americans will choose, right, right, uh, right. It'll right. be the, ba- the battle between Cuyahoga County and, <laughs> uh, the, the sea of red. Uh, yeah, I, I associate like my 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 run-ins with people from Cleveland. I've heard that that opening this litany of like misfortunes that's befallen the city. I've heard that straight-facedly from people who are basically like 
oh, let me tell you about my town. Let me tell you about where, where I'm from. And it's a lot of a lot of these beats where it's like, and then LeBron, like they finally, they stopped talking about LeBron after he came back and won a title <laughs> with the Cavs. But before that happened, let me tell you what you hear a lot about uh, was like how he betrayed them and like, uh, you know, after all their loyalty, just left them for Miami of all places. Who would leave? Monster. Yeah. So. The point is, it's very funny that this movie's just leaning all the way into this and also trying to create the sense of uh, this is an old franchise with some like NFL royalty associated with it. And the movie centers on Kevin Costner's character, uh, Sonny Weaver Jr., the junior's important, uh, who is the general manager for the Cleveland Browns. The movie opens uh i have so many questions about like the succession plan there how they i will get there but like i don't under yeah i don't understand the the whole conceit of this movie is it opens before dawn on draft day yeah and the entire thing so here's my other theory about this movie the entire movie is a plea to the browns to not draft johnny football johnny menzel uh because the the plot of this is that in the pre-dawn hours seattle realizes that they have a lock on the top QB prospect in the draft, but rather than draft him, they would rather fleece this desperate schlub uh, out in uh, Cleveland and force him to basically give away the the farm uh, in order to recruit this top draft pick. And Sonny Weaver, it's sort of a, this is a, a very typical trope. It is a one crazy day in life type movie. Everything about his life is going to change. He he is in a relationship. He just discovered that his uh, partner is pregnant. His father just died a week ago. Everything is happening in this guy's life all at once. And in the back, like, this is all in the backdrop as he's basically being forced to draft this quarterback that he has no real conviction in. And th- this is where the movie actually does kind of win me over. Because the clock is ticking, he has, like... 18 hours to justify why he shouldn't draft this guy. Um, he has a gut feeling that this is a bad, a, a bad draft pick. And for the next, like for the rest of this movie, he is going to be basically doing detective work, trying to figure out why is this great fo- college football quarterback quarterback, not actually great. And then at the end, he is going to, does he actually prove that though? Does he come up with any conclusive evidence by the end of this film? They, he didn't have anybody come to his birthday party. Right, because this this movie is, I mean, I understand emotionally I'm with you. Like, I, I get it. But, like, this movie is, like, made in an era, like, towards the, I mean, this still happens a bit in the NFL, in which, like, go read up on, like, interviews that, like, bullshit GMs and owners have, like, care character issues mm-hmm. like like where they give folks like bullshit questions because they need to figure out what are these uh as they call them intangibles is the is the term uh, constantly used uh uh to describe like nfl quarterbacks uh specifically who have like a physical profile that makes sense but what are the intangibles that make and like but this whole movie is about that is like like they're like a whole scene centering around like a hundred dollar bill attached to the back <laughs> it's, it's like so good 
Oh, God, it was we driving, just, it was driving so, me crazy. That was Rob. actually one of the few believable scenes that I like. I think I could see an oh, LGM actually doing that. That fe- the, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of those like little like bullshit character things like feel like they are ripped straight from like somebody having done that in an actual interview. There was a I, I somewhat it. famous story of the Oakland Raiders, uh, Jamarcus Russell, being given a tape full of plays that he was supposed to watch. And they were just waiting to see if he would come back and say, yep, coach, I watched it because the tape was blank. And I think that <laughs> I think that was what they were that was kind of referencing with this, because they like yes. to reference a lot of kind of famous stories from the NFL. Yeah, I think this is the so at the by the end of this film, by the way, Sonny will have run the table in the most improbable way possible. Like <laughs> yeah. this, like basically two thirds of the way through the movie. He has fucked up the draft in ways that, like, you are fired. I was by- screaming. I like there are three <laughs> moments I screamed in this film. One when Chadwick Boseman appears, and I was like, I DM'd, I DM'd Rob, being like, Boseman's in this movie. And he was like, What is there some secret role that got disclosed that, like, even though after he died, I was like, No, what is he doing in this film? And this, the second was when he drafts the the safety, uh, you know, drafts Bozeman like number one. And the third was not realizing it was an Ivan Reitman film until I get to the credits. <laughs> it said directed by Ivan Reitman, and I like threw something at the wall. <laughs> no, granted, I knew this came in the era where he was directing movies like year one with uh you know like Jack Black and uh what's his face from Arrested Development, the little uh Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. Like it, this is not like a you know, Ivan Reitman is not Ivan Reitman anymore, but uh that <laughs> hey, it takes a pro to sell a movie. Like Ivan Reitman and Kevin Costner are putting in the work you pay them to do, which is making. I mean, Costner was movie. like I like you know I, I, he he could he sells the melodrama um, better than <laughs> most the of the part. other actors in this film. Yes, uh, which yeah. is like like the shots around him and the other people in the in the war room. It's like oh, he's a much better actor uh, than these other guys. Like especially it, it, the other GMs, like the guy who was playing the Jaguars GM. <laughs> Just what is going on with that guy? Well, but also though they have to introduce these guys to basically be deers in the headlights, yes. so that he can undo the fuck ups of the previous hour of the film. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll get there. So. Kat, you mentioned, though, right from the first, uh, you felt the movie kind of basically tells you exactly what sort of film you're in for from the opening narration. Uh, And you you sort of felt it was very of a moment. Yeah, it was Chris Berman intoning (laughs) the magic of draft day. The camera pans slowly over the war room, showing all the helmets. And you could almost hear an ESPN analyst or somebody in the NFL going, the shield, the most sacred thing. We must all acknowledge they, we must protect the shield. It was very much, I think trying to invoke the feeling of watching like NFL films circa the 1980s or something like that. uh, Just in having the voiceover and everything. So right from the very start, it is establishing that this is the top gun for the NFL right here. Yeah, real uh, uh, hard knocks energy, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, permeated throughout this as well. It's like, hey, I know the only teams that are on hard knocks are the <laughs> are the shitty ones because that's <laughs> how they get picked. But that's why the Dallas Cowboys are on there this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, I, I think a new coach is also what spurs you to to potentially be be on oh, it. But uh, is that uh, new season interesting? Huh? 
the season. Yeah. There's like a, I, you know, I watched it for a couple of years in a row, and now I just watch the clips that surface. Apparently, yeah. Zeke Elliott is the star, the breakout star of this. Yeah, series. apparently he's a real hmm, character in that. But they, there's a, a an extre- if you haven't not seen the extremely cute clip of uh, Dak Prescott like going to meet like a super fan who walks in, it, and he's a little child, like the kid must be six or seven or something like that, and he goes like, "Oh, nice to meet you, Patrick Mahomes," and it's just like the most delightful thing in the world. It's a completely uncynical take on the NFL. And the thing that I I think is fascinating about draft day is that it is very much how the NFL wants to see itself. And maybe it actually does see itself. Um, Roger Goodell apparently loved this movie. He's just all about it. The most unrealistic thing that happens in this film is that Roger Goodell uh, comes on on stage to open up the draft and they cut to a shot of the crowd standing and (laughs) clapping for him. Go like every every NFL draft. That man gets fucking booed like it is overwhelming. They try to drown it out when like they're filming it and like broadcasting it. But he gets booed by every fan base the moment he's out to the moment he goes away. And so like there are a lot of you know moments in this film that are like complete horseshit. But like that one made me cackle, like just <laughs> yes. cackle because it is just so profoundly untrue to even like the narrative they're trying to portray. Like at least they could have had a moment where it's like they booed and he looks at somebody or like they could have even made a bit out of it. But no, it has to be. We love the commish like the and he loves football just like we do. Who Can did sexualize so- this for just a hot second? Yeah, sure. This movie came out in 2014. Do you know what was happening in the NFL in 2014? Kind of like throw a dart. Is it possible the Ray Rice stuff was happening? The Ray Rice stuff was happening. And this was when Roger Goodell was just getting destroyed on the media. In he the just media, started, social right? media, like everywhere. Was, he, was, he was fairly new at the, at the position. Like, yeah, I was, say. He had been there for a few. I think he might have actually been there for 10 years at that point. I can't oh, remember wow. when Tagliabue okay. Resigned, but he had been around for a while and he was known as like the disciplinarian guy. Yep. But this was where it really started to fall apart because it was obvious that Roger Goodell was very bad at his job. He was living <laughs> in kind of this crazy bubble where criticism never actually very, really pierced it. And like every time you heard a story, another story about how they were dealing with the Ray Rice situation or the Adrian Peterson situation where they mm-hmm. had absolutely no plan as to how to deal with this crisis and it just kept mushrooming out of control made you realize that these people were a bunch of dunces. So Roger Goodell (laughs) must have, and and into this situation comes draft day, a movie that is a, just a celebration of the NFL. The compare and contrast is something. Well, and also it's a celebration of the NFL's it's, it's this weird thing. The NFL is one of the most cynical and exploitative organizations in the country and is one of the most sentimental, which isn't a new thing, right? Like Louis B. Mayer was the same way, like ran a brutal movie studio system and was a big sentimental softy. The NFL is sort of similar where it's like completely exploitative, completely willing to like grind up players uh, for the mill, but then also is really bought into this idea of, you know, the sport takes takes people and makes good men out of them. There's a lot of mentorship that comes in the NFL. The NFL, you know, it's not just talent. It's about it's about what's in here. It's about what's in your heart. It's about it's about 
character. And that's what this movie hinges on. It is an NFL draft. It is a vision of the NFL draft where the thing every GM is really just sweating bullets over is, am I drafting a good man? Am I drafting a, <laughs> is this promising young talent wedded to strong character and values and work? And I effort? know this black athlete has a rap sheet, but I'm going to find the heart of gold inside and get to the, get, to, you know what I mean? Like the moment this movie started with just like, a, like a top like draft prospect would be like, well, he is accused of battery. And then like cuts to like the NFL network panel being like, but what I care about is value. And I think that's like a direct quote from one of, one of the panelists who I'm sure is an actual, because the movie's just completely full of like actual talking heads from that era. And mostly still, still here, but like that, uh, oh yeah it's so funny that um like john gruden's in this film the coach that sonny weaver is working with is a dennis lear is dennis leary doing a very thinly disguised john gruden oh uh, uh, yeah, with that's a rap true. on his, that's true. his yeah his coach has won a super bowl and he's very proud of that but weaver's knock on him is no no you took a great team that was teed up for you. That's you won a what Super Gruden Bowl, did. I forgot. And then you ran them oh, into the ground. Shit. And, and you know yeah, what's creepy? What? They signed. So in real life, John Gruden was signed for 10 years, fully guaranteed to the Raiders by the owner. Mm-hmm. That was Dennis Leary's character, too, several years before that actually happened. Because he says, I'm on a six year contract. <laughs> Holy shit. I was brought in by the owner. Draft day predicted the future. <laughs> Draft day predicted it. <laughs> or did it create it? Like, did uh, oh, Little Davis did Little Davis watch the movie and was just like, that could be me. I could. <laughs> Mark I, Davis getting that haircut. It's going, you know, that's a great idea. Let's do that. You know, give these guys a long-term contract and, like, give them a chance to bring their vision to fruition. But, yeah, so this is this is the thing about this movie is, like, it's it's all about this sense of, um, you know, you can watch all like it's so funny in some ways it's trying to get at some of the things that the teams do do which is they obsess over tape they obsess over details but then also it's like but what really really this is all about is the tape the tape grinding is just a window into the person's soul and so the 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 tension that is there at the first is (laughs) zero subtlety uh kevin costner really wants to draft a linebacker uh, in the first round, and it's played by Chadwick Boseman, Vontae Mack, and in case you were in any doubt that this guy is the real deal, what's he doing in the first scene? Taking his two nephews to tumbling class. He didn't come to New York to to go be part of the draft. He had family obligations. He had to be with his family. And he's got to take these kids to uh, take these kids to school because he's sort of stepping up and being their surrogate father because uh, his sister, we learn, died of cancer. And so he's got to kind of raise, uh, you know, raise these young kids uh, by himself. And so right from the first is like, oh, man, this guy's this guy's a prince. Yeah, it's about but- family, Rob. The entire plot is a freaking NFL tagline. <laughs> right. And yeah, and, and yeah. So in the context of 2014 and the years that would follow and and right up until like now, basically, this side of the NFL lives alongside an NFL that is constantly like looking the other way, uh, not just in their own like horrible labor practices and sort of the 
ways that they let players uh, get hurt and sort of take advantage of them, but also look the other way from when star players uh, like commit heinous crimes uh, where that becomes a, the NFL is a league that GMs are very comfortable being like, well, nobody's been convicted. And in the meantime, they're really good. So we can play them. That's kind of the NFL. But in this vision, it's we're going to find these guys like we're going we're going to find the heart of these people and only good people will become stars through draft day. Um, I mean, the NFL can be summed up by the fact that Deshaun Watson is under has been accused by many, many women of sexual assault. And he's just, yep, still on the tra- practice field like nothing's happening. Well, he's not, well, he's and not so even, bad. like the, the NFL came up with like, like you know, this is in 2014. Ray Rice essentially. Uh, the events of that force certain like changes in, in, in the league that like just it ultimately in the grand scheme of things like minor things to like, <laughs> to try and become like a more ethical uh, organization and, and sport. But uh, at some point as like this stuff kept cropping up and things like cell phones, like propagated video. I mean, that's part of the Ray Rice story is like video footage, like essentially forcing your hand to make you do something that you didn't want to do. And like that has just increasingly happened over the course of all sports, with the NFL especially. Uh, they created something called the commissioner's exempt list, which is basically like where the league can say, all right, it acknowledges what Rob is saying is like the NFL is full of like scummy coaches and GMs who are going to go, you know what we're going to do? This player is here. They're not in a jail cell. Uh, they're not being c- convicted. We're going to put them on the field. Like, what are we going to do? Like not play them? They're going to help us give a chance to win. And something like the commissioner's exempt list is basically like, hey, we don't know what's going on with this player yet. The process hasn't played out. We're just going to take that off the chessboard where you just cannot play them. They have, Yes, they haven't been arrested, but like we know some shit's going on. And like that has not even happened with Watson with like an incredible amount of like very detailed reporting, dozens of women at like different scales of accusations. And they haven't even like pulled the trigger on that to be like, well, let's just now the Texans, ha- you know, are, are basically stashed him hoping that they can trade him. And the some Dolphins other team can... want to trade for him. I know. <laughs> now yeah, I know they want to give multiple first round picks for Deshaun Watson in. Tw- yeah. Uh, my yeah. brain is breaking a little bit right now. Yeah. But yeah. And this is, and this is the thing, this is one of a series of like in, in 2014, it was Ray Rice who was uh, like filmed, uh really viciously assaulting his uh fiance um and then like since then like you had the things around like greg hardy uh in dallas like it's been one year after another i mean i already mentioned adrian peterson who that very same year as the ray rice thing happened and like i said i I was like this is the year that's going to be different we're drafting (laughs) teddy bridgewater i think it was like week two i find out that adrian peterson has been benched for mysterious reasons and then of course the entire child abuse thing comes out and now you're just seeing major cognitive dissonance because vikings fans are both going adrian peterson is probably one of the best running backs i've ever watched he was ridiculous but then also but also he really did horrific things to his kids so we probably shouldn't be worshiping this guy (laughs) and he he was such a good running back 
And he's publicly doubling down on it. I remember that being yeah. like the thing was that it was not so much, you know, there was not any sort of contrition. It was like, no, this is how I was raised and this is how I'm raising my kids. And it's like, oh, wait, oh no, he said it. Like, And then it I became think? culture war because <laughs> then it became it's like traditionally raising your kids or, uh-huh. you know, just being too nice. So they run. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. But and this and this film is basically trying to sweep all of that under the rug. Like what, yep. what we hear about it alludes to it because in the first in the first minutes of the film, we discover that this star running back uh, who's also there in the in the draft class. Uh, yeah, he's been booked on assault charges for getting in a punch up in a bar fight. And in the conversation you hear between him and, and Costner, he's basically like, hey. They were grown men and they, they knew what they were getting into. Uh, and so, you know, one of them's in the hospital, but tough shit. And <laughs> I appreciated the honesty. Yeah. I, actually, I was sort of like, I, I buy it. I, it sounds like this was just a fucking scuffle and yep. that dipshit deserves to be in the hospital. <laughs> Look, some like some people you should not square up on and <laughs> like NFL players, any position pretty much top of the list. <laughs> Uh, doesn't like do not do not think do not uh, engage yeah but so in the in the in this film though that's that's not what this is going to center on what's going to center on is yeah patrick like what you what you describe as the intangibles we know that we know that vante mack has them because we've seen him with his family uh but what is wrong about this like poster child quarterback uh, this this handsome uh, Drew Brees like character. If Drew Brees still had that full head of hair, um, you know what is what is wrong with this guy that that he's not all he's cracked up to be. And the, the rest of the film is really trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. Um, and what I do find kind of charming about it is it is treated as such a serious mystery. It like with, with little revelations and twists and turns, starting with. <laughs> After Kevin Costner is bullied into making the trade by his boss, uh, Frank Langella, um, who's way too good for this role, but whatever. Look, hey, um, he's a, having a great time. I, yeah, he did seem like he was having fun chewing scenery. He takes him to an abandoned amusement park to be <laughs> like, I people come here because they like to see, they like to make a splash. And that's what I need you to do. Make a splash. I'm the water park king of Cleveland. And I want draft day to be the splashiest splash day uh, in Cleveland history. People want to get wet. And we're going to do it. So Kevin Costner like makes this deal where he trades. And here we start to get into the fun dynamics of draft day as just a conceit. Draft day is to a large degree about mortgaging the future for the present. Uh, what what's more American than that? Uh, it is it is about trading future draft picks frequently for who is available right now. And what Kevin Costner does is he gives up three years of first round draft picks. I want to say mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get uh, this guy Bo Callahan. Uh, to be his first pick in the NFL draft. And it's an unimpeachable pick. Like, no one's going to quibble with it. Uh, everyone thinks it's uh, – Bo is clearly what Trevor Lawrence was uh, this year, uh, where it's just something nobody has any doubts about. But it's not sitting well with Costner. And when he breaks – when he when he gets a call from uh, Chadwick Bozeman, 
who's furious that he's not going to get uh, picked early. Chadwick Boseman, like fucking deep throat in all the president's men, gives this cryptic, did you watch the tape of when he played me? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, just you had, explained you had it. <laughs> You had a great game, four sacks. Watch, watch what he did after after I hit him. What? Watch what he did after I sacked him, and then hangs up the phone. (laughs) And so Kevin Costner's got to like run tape with his guys to try to figure out like basically reprising his role in JFK, where he's going to be like, (laughs) we're going to figure out what what secret does the tape hold uh, about this these the these two men uh, that the cameras caught. And I kind of, honestly, I thought it was going to be that none of his team helped him up. Um, Cause that's the other thing that is sort of lurking in the background here is do people even like Bo Callahan? But in this case, what it turns out to be is Bo got scared. Bo's a coward. And it is exposed by the fact that after getting shit rocked by Vontae Mack, he is a little jumpy. Except, you know, little, he got a little, little jumpy, Sam but he threw a freaking pinpoint pass yeah! into the end zone yes! after like the third sack. Come on. He won the game on like a diving catch into like the only spot a like receiver could get, which like completely undercut like, oh, he gets the jitters. After. Yeah, no shit. Like, you know, I mean, I, you know <laughs> but a real quarterback wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> It's so and and also like it's very clear that like Vontae Mack is like this apex predator type middle linebacker, which occasionally exists in the NFL, right? There are some guys who like play on defense who are just they, the guy in like, the Browns right now. Uh <laughs> the dude that swung his helmet at a face uh a couple of seasons ago. Is oh, he a linebacker, perfect? right? No, 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 Miles, uh, Miles Garrett, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying, like, literally on the Browns is, I think he's a linebacker. Like, I mean, just his help. name's Fontes Mack. You're Bears fans. He's basically <laughs> Khalil Mack. Yeah. Though he doesn't line up on the line, I think, right? That was the, uh, no, anyway. I think, Garrett, I think Garrett's on the line, but any, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, it's very funny that we watch this video of, like, this guy throwing this incredible pass, <laughs> and Costner's like, this guy's a fraud. Yeah, but Let what's me- up with his birthday party? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So after after this tape session where he realizes the guy got rattled and he only threw that amazing pass because Vontae Mack wasn't there to scare him, they also run the tape to see Vontae Mack was ejected from the game because he was giving the game ball <laughs> to his sister who's dying of cancer. <laughs> and uh everyone's like, damn, oh just what a what a character. But then the other part of this, yes. And no, and no, but even though this like clearly would have been like one of the highlight stories of the day in college football, like people would have known that like his sister was dying of cancer. Like everyone is just like taken aback when Costner reveals like, and that's his fucking dying sister. And you see the whole draft room go quiet. Like, damn, damn. It's, it's like, like no one frame. do any. <laughs> Enhance. That's did his no one dying do any sister. research. <laughs> you can tell she's wearing that little head wrap uh that mm-hmm. is universal mm-hmm. code for uh get, getting chemo <laughs> um so the other yeah patrick you mentioned it uh-huh. the birthday party do you want to yep. explain a little bit the, well, the birthday party detective goes... character who exists within the browns organization here well, that, as well yeah i don't <laughs> that guy that guy kind of rules i guess because like 
the dumb bit that he has with Koster. Basically, there's, there's someone on the team that it's not made clear, like with what their type senior investigator who knows basically <laughs> is to try and figure out the dirt. Like what what do we not know um, that people aren't telling us? Because um, like multiple instances in the film where Costner will like call up a GM that he's clearly friendly with. And it's like, hey, like friend of friend, like what's the deal? Like, what do you know about this guy that like you clearly aren't interested in? Um that we need to know something about, you know, because all these different teams do their own evaluations and yada, yada, yada. And yeah, this one guy is just to figure out, like, what do I not know about Bo Callahan? And the first one is about, well, he went to this birthday party. And uh, what's the line that the guy says? Like, ask, it's, they do it twice. It's like, ask me what happened. It's like, I'm not, just tell me what happened. Ask me what happened. It's like, nobody came to his birthday party. What kind of quarterback? Nobody from the no- team. Nobody, none of his 81 or whatever the number is, like teammates. His teammates didn't his. have his back. They yeah. weren't brothers in arms. Well, because there was also a, like a fight broke out. The police showed up and, and the reason they know none of the friends showed up or none of the teammates showed up is because the police report only had Bo's name on it and none of the other players. And like, damn, what does that say about Bo and like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure what the takeaway is supposed to be there. But then we find out later that, well, the cops uh, were probably just actually, you know, trying to keep what was otherwise like like a really dumb fight, like off the books. And so they just like didn't write down the names of those players. Right. Like, that, that's the implication. Well, the point. They have and then, to we find, then we find out the end that maybe none of them were actually there. I don't. I was. I was like so disinterested in caring about this, like this, like this birthday mystery plot that I can't tell where we actually ended up on it. They were trying to implicate him as a bad person and a mm-hmm. potential bust without really getting into the serious stuff that would normally disqualify an NFL quarterback. Like, for example, huffing lines like Johnny Mansell, <laughs> you know, or being really racist or whatever. They're like, no, uh, it's just that nobody likes him, I guess. And they're just constantly because they they can't connect these things to the actual NFL because, once again, it is an advertisement for everything. So that's why they went with the birthday party thing as gasp. And you know what? I bet there are people in the NFL who were actually nodding along. It was like, yep, team didn't have his back. Didn't want to come into his birthday party. Clearly uh, not a team player. He's Gotta not going to live Gotta and die be for his team. I See, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. When he asked the question of, uh, do you like to win? Do you like to win? Well, everybody <laughs> says that. Do you like to win? <laughs> like, yeah, like, I was actually on the Callahan side. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck does it's this guy want me to uncomfortable say? conversation. Like- the entire movie I was with, everybody who was going, what is wrong with you, man? It's like, that poor coach is going, can I please just have, like, why are you mortgaging the entire future? What are you doing? Oh, God, yeah, can this, I have a running this back, This movie is a man having, like, a mental break. Like like a, a like a, like a midlife crisis, and we're supposed to sympathize like with him the entire way. <laughs> it's so I do love. Um, I have a soft spot for Dennis Leary. Um, he pops up in some of my favorite movies. I think The Ref is an underrated Christmas classic. Um, <laughs> if you've never seen, I think like the uh, hands down, I think my favorite Boston crime movie of all time is Monument Avenue. 
uh, Monument Ave. Uh, it's a great uh, Dennis Leary movie, but he gets this like, um, yeah, the the this sort of manic, resigned quality to him, and the part where he walks in to Costner's office and while he's on the phone just looks at him sets the playbook on fire <laughs> and dumps it in the trash I was like this is this is pretty good um where well, he can't because he can't really I mean he can act but his range is like very specific yes. so it like requires him to be in the right role with the right direction in the right context because it's not he can only he only pivot so far on the range but if you put him in the right you know the, the right context. He he works he works really well. Yeah. My favorite uh, Dennis Leary line was him saying, "Yeah, I coached the Cowboys. We won <laughs> a lot." And I'm just like, "Is this an alternate universe Cowboys yes, that I'm yes. not familiar with?" Cat, I mean, in this the, the this is NFL propaganda, so of course they're going to blow massive amounts of smoke up the Cowboys' ass. Where it's like. No, I Tony Romo did win lots of Super Bowls. He did. He was wonderful, and they won all the time. I could not get through an episode of the Dallas Cowboys documentary they did with Amazon, Winning is Everything, where <laughs> it's just like, what an incredible organization. Just the best <laughs> football organization uh, in history. Um, just an incredible culture of winning. Um, and, of course, the, the Joneses are incredible stewards of that team. Uh, they they make great decisions uh, for the right reasons. Couldn't if you couldn't tell yourself it. you're winning, you're winning. Is the you know the the Cowboys mantra? The the thing I have heard the the defense of Jerry Jones is that he would rather it be fun than successful, which I kind of do get. <laughs> like success is Robert Kraft, right? Success is the Patriots' way, and it's boring as fuck. Like it doesn't it doesn't travel well. It doesn't like fire the imagination. I don't wow. think the Cowboys fire the imagination either, though, <laughs> of late. It's true. If Jerry Jones, if I were an NFL owner, I'd probably be something like Jerry Jones, where I would be meddling constantly. He, oh, he yeah. seems like he cares, right? At the very, like, a lot of things bad about Jerry Jones, but like, he does seem like he cares, is knowledgeable. And like, if you're going to be involved, at least he seems like he's done and his to be homework. Basically sedated to be stopped from drafting Johnny Menzel, <laughs> like they had to bodily tackle him. He's like, I'm going to well, do it. I'm turning it the card. And this is the thing. Like, I'm sorry. You're a multi-billionaire who owns, who owns the Dallas Cowboys. Like, what? Am I not supposed to play franchise mode in real life? Like, this is my human chessboard. <laughs> like, what are you doing trying to stop me from, from moving the pieces around? But if you dig just even a tiny bit, as I mean, this is not news that every single one of the owners in the NFL is a freaking awful human being. And when the floods were happening in Texas earlier this year, freaking Jerry Jones right there profiting off it, finding ways to be able to make money off people who don't have any power because just what he's going to do. I mean, Jerry Jones, not a nice guy, but he is kind of a goofball in that luxury box. Yep. Well, yeah, because it's like they're they're all miserable. Oh, yeah. We were like mentioning Robert Fox. Kraft. And so and then, like, oh yeah, and then he was doing the whole scandal with the massage therapist, and that uh-huh. seems to come up a lot in the mm. NFL. <sighs> it's it's not a great yeah. thing to watch as a fan. No, <laughs> uh, but and yet here and we yet. are uh, yeah, yeah, through the magic of the NFL, cognitive dissonance, um, the podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a recurring theme uh, here, here with here with us. Um, and so I think 
we have this this mystery coming together of like uh you know do Bo's teammates secretly hate him which i think is very uh, honestly for me i'm like man if none of his teammates were at his birthday party that would be a pretty big red flag because like 80 dudes you tell me he doesn't have any friends on that team he must be a <laughs> massive prick um i do love that sam elliott pops up out of nowhere to be the badgers head coach yeah. Uh, to chew Kevin Costner out. He's like, why are you bothering me with these stupid fucking questions? Are you out of your mind? He's Sam- a slam dunk. Shut the fuck up. Speaking for us all. Uh, okay, I'm going to defend this. Bo Cal- uh, Callahan, he just eats tape. He doesn't have time for friends, right? Like, he's just a tape eater. He's always in there trying to improve his craft. I mean, do you see friends uh, with Tom Brady? No, he's too busy trying to be the best. Maybe That's true. Bo... Is just out there trying to excel, and you're just passing on the guy who's eating all that tape. Well, the thing is, though, he's already got a great quarterback. He has Superman. Yes, he he's <laughs> Superman. What's his actual? Uh, oh, he's not hmm. Andrew Luck, but it's something really close. It's something really close to Andrew Luck. It's like, isn't it Tom? Tom something, right? Uh, oh, you mean the actual character? The actual character. Or, or- Oh, uh, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, but that's the that's the other part of this is he's got a quarterback that people already believe in. Yes, his knee basically exploded in the last season, and he's had like multiple reconstructive surgeries. Yeah, they're not they're they're not like super specific on what that means. Like what I could have used a little more information on the nature of the injury because what the setup is that you know uh, they had construct you know the, the team finally sounded like they were coalescing. They went five and one. And then he blows out his knee, and I guess if you're picking seven in the draft, you probably lost, you know, like eight, you know, eight, eight of those games, and like only won five or six to be picking in the in the top ten. Um, but like the nature, like knees could be a lot of things. Is that an ACL tear? Well, then he's not coming back to the middle of the season. Is he like um, Teddy Bridgewater, where they literally had to sedate right. him? <laughs> right. He seemed fine. However. Um, the thing that I find funny is that he blew out his knee that year and seemingly like, no, he's coming back stronger. Like he can lift like 400 pounds and throw his football right through a brick wall. (laughs) But, and by the way, there's no way that steroids could have anything to do with this part of the story. (laughs) Hey, rehabilitation, whatever. Who cares? The guy needs to get Stop slandering Brian Drew. Brian Drew, the, the 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 pride of Cleveland. Uh, he's just, again, just a great player. Oh, that's the other thing. So in the other thing that the Browns head of security, who apparently is like also just a detective who can do whatever, um, he gets the story about another organization tapes a $100 bill in the playbook to just see what the players uh, do about it. And Bo Callahan lied. He pretended to have when they caught him when they caught out that he hadn't read the playbook. He lied and pretended that he noticed the hundred dollar bill, and uh, then not said anything about it. Um, well, no, I think it's specifically they called him out on it, and then he doubled down on the lie. It was a double lie. Okay, Rob. that would be a shocked. red flag for me. But on the other hand, <laughs> he's a freaking kid, and kids are dumb. Yeah. And he also knows he's the number one pick. Yeah. He's like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> like, do you see that pass I threw at the end after I got sacked four times? Pinpoint. Patrick, let me tell you something about character, okay? <laughs> Brian Drew sent the $100 bill back to the team 
with a card that said, pay me when I win you your first Super Bowl. <laughs> Eight years on the Browns later hasn't <laughs> happened. Oh, you well, have a family, what... too. It is explicitly shows him with his family so that you know that Brian Drew is a good person. Football is family. And like, and now that he's got all that creatine uh, in his system, he's just gonna he's just gonna <laughs> crush it. Um, so this all culminates. So the thing is, he has completely like this team has gone all in uh, on this on this pick, but then at the eleventh hour, alone in his office, Sonny Weaver Jr. looks deep within himself and realizes. It can't be Bo Callahan. It's got to be Vontae Mack. First pick overall, a linebacker after trading three first rounders. Three first round picks. I was just like, it does not matter how good that linebacker is, by the way. Doesn't matter. No. Like, that no. guy could be the second coming of Ray Lewis. Doesn't matter. That's a terrible, like, again. And they, and they, and they set it up early in the film, like one of the opening scenes. Is that he's sliding down the draft board? Like he he is not going to go top five potentially. He's and if the if the Browns were to pass on him at seven, the implication was that gonna uh, 15, you know he's going to go later. 20. They don't they don't explain this very well in in the movie, but it is like worth pointing out if if you've made it this far and like are like intimately familiar with like how drafting contracts work, you get paid more the higher you are drafted significantly. And so to go 10 spots later in a, in a league where you get the shit beat out of you and you might not make it to a second contract, like your chance at, if not generational wealth, but like wealth in general out of like most likely sacrificing your body for two full decades um, to get to this point, um, the higher you are drafted, the more you are guaranteed up front regardless of what happens um because you end up signing these rookie contracts that go i think well this is probably pre like a cba renegotiation but like they work now i think you get four years and then you get a there's a there's a team option for for a fifth fifth and so like sliding 10 spots is like millions and millions of dollars off off the board uh potentially and so and as they like illustrate, you know, later in the in, in the film, like another real thing of the NFL draft is if a team is expected to take a player and it's all they've talked about, and for some reason it doesn't happen on draft day, like those players will slip. And they're they, like, if it is legitimate, or or rather, if it's not legitimate, they are just watching millions of dollars slip away from them for whatever arbitrary bullshit character reason. Who's the uh, the bong, the bong guy from uh from a couple of years ago? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the trade, the, the offensive lineman. Yes, wasn't that Miles Garrett? The, no, am I crazy? No, 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 I thought no, no, he had no, no, something no. that happened I, to him too. No, I it was thought the it, was, it was an old and the dude with the yeah, stepfather yeah. like hated his fucking guts. Um, uh, uh, gas bong NFL <laughs> draft. Uh, Laramie Tunzel. Yeah, like uh, one Tunzel. of and he turned out to be really best. good too. Incredible, like like top five left tackle in in the league, in, incredibly good. Um, basically, like a a video of him like <laughs> smoking out of like this gas mask bong. It's a hysterical video. This happened in 2016. Um, comes out I think the day of the morning of the draft, and he went from being a top five pick to slipping all the way down to uh 
I don't have it here, but much, much later. Like he lost, I mean, I, it worked out for him. He said multiple contracts, like been drafted around, but like that shit does happen yeah. for completely arbitrary character reasons. Now, granted, the NFL is also very regressive on how it treats marijuana. Um, and that, that's like, that is still largely the case in 2021, but it was even more the case in 2016. So the thing is, so having basically traded all this draft capital to get the first overall pick, and then setting it all on fire in pu- the most public <laughs> possible way by taking – he doesn't even trade the pick. He doesn't even trade the pick back. No. He you just can trade down. Him. He could have traded down like – and at least recovered probably a, a first rounder, two first rounders. Like it, it could have happened. So That's I'm what curious what happened too because people wanted Bo Callahan. Yes. Like he could have yes, picked up the phone everyone. and said, look, I've got cold feet. Or no, he could have even said, "Look, I'm going. I'm going in a different direction. Just I want to trade out." He could. He could have done what he does in the melodramatic fashion the movie pitches it mm-hmm. as. As like what actually happens in the NFL is just like, ah, actually, you know, we're you know we're we're gonna go a different direction, and you just you draft down in that. But there's no drafting down in this. In this, you don't go down. You only go up. Of, you only go. So up. this is the thing. Um, by any by any reckoning, he's just destroyed his team. Like there's the the mm-hmm. the the Browns are stick a fork in them. Their draft their draft picture is screwed for the next month. And the seasons. war the war room was very upset. I did enjoy when he came in, and <laughs> it was just so <laughs> mad. I would but, be like that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Honestly, as somebody who enjoys, okay, I like watching shows where everybody's very competent, right, and very well yeah. run, and mm-hmm. this. This entire movie was giving me heartburn. I'm like, this is the worst organization I've ever seen. He's in his freaking SUV going, yeah, sure, I'll trade for the number one pick. Sure, I'll trade three first rounders. I'm not going to tell anybody about this. Nobody knows. Nobody's talking to one another. He's just like, yeah, I drafted the linebacker without telling anybody. Surprise. Like, that would be a fireable (laughs) offense just in general. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, just trying to pick apart this, this has absolutely no bearing how an actual NFL team would be run to the point where I'd be like, why would the NFL allow this to be put on the screen to be shown as like, this is how the NFL is actually, this is what it's like in the war room. No, it's not. It makes all the G. It makes all the GMs look like dumbasses. It does. Right? Like the, C- the Seahawks GM in which like, there's like a weird subplot where like, He's emotionally moved by a couple of people showing out, uh, showing up outside of his office, which I'm not sure how they did that in the first place. Like, like what NFL team is going to allow fan protesters to show up and like put signs? Like, I really don't think that would ever occur. Like, that's like a one shot where he looks over and sees the Seahawks fans mad that they traded away the number one pick for three first round draft picks to go to number seven, in which they probably could trade back up. Uh, yeah, so I want to ask you guys about this final series of moves that allow him to save draft day and save the Cleveland Browns, save his family, save his relationship. Basically all will be redeemed uh, through these series of trades on the one hand, it's preposterous, but I am also kind of curious to your point cat about like, everyone looks like such schmucks at this point in the movie, but 
there's a lot of bad front offices. I think my team probably has one of them. <laughs> and when he starts making the rounds of the fact that the fact that he didn't draft Bo Callahan with the first overall has tilted multiple organizations. And he's like, who are the dumbest GMs in my Rolodex that I can reach out to? I am curious, like, is this completely stupid? Or do you think there's actually like effective NFL satire happening here? Oh, it might be effective NFL satire, but it's totally unintentional for sure. Like, I think they were just, um, hmm, let me think about this for a hot second. I think that there are probably NFL GMs out there who would be very tilted by something that unexpected. I think I would be tilted if that <laughs> happened. If like, But then on the other hand, okay, you have a draft board in a real life war room that has like just so many players right and you i don't think you go into the first round like a fantasy draft and go oh my god my guy and my backup was taken you have a plan for every freaking contingency you rehearse this constantly that's the thing they don't really show there would not be a freaking murder mystery with a care a guy like bo callahan who's like wow why wasn't he at the birthday party? They know everything about this kid going back to when he was like born. Okay. They have so many interviews with all of these players. They know an absurd amount. All they think about is this draft. They have intimate knowledge about every one of these players. So yes, it is ridiculous that they would be that tilted and that, I mean, the entire premise of the movie is pretty ridiculous. However, it's effective satire in the sense that there are some genuinely dumb <laughs> GMs out there who would just steer in the but, headlights. But he made a good deal. Yeah. He made a good deal getting multiple second round picks for like a team that like that bottomed out the season before and they're going to go back to a guy with bad knees. I would take those. But I would Jaguars take those second had round the golden picks. deal, though. They could have fleeced the Seahawks. But like that guy sitting in the Jaguars war room going, oh. <laughs> This is the part I love when he's like, hey, buddy, I'm here to help. You. I'm going to help you out. I know you're a first time GM and you want to look savvy. You want to look smart. I'm going to give you all these second round draft picks for your first round pick right now with Bo Callahan still on the table. And every, you're going to be like, and everyone's going to look at you like you're so smart. Like you got a plan. Uh, so how about it, huh, buddy? And he's like, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Weaver. That would be the Jaguars, though. They would probably do something like that. <laughs> and what so is it the also dumbest thing that an NFL team has ever done in the draft, I have to ask? God. Um... I mean, they did refer to the time that the Vikings actually forgot to turn in their pick and accidentally got knocked down yeah. a few spots. So that was a good one. I mean, there's I mean, also, I mean, in the context of ahead. this, like the Manziel pick itself, there's weird things. The That's Timo what I mean. Manziel, the, the irony of the 2014 pick that this movie, it like ends up accidentally lampooning the reality of the Cleveland Browns. It almost reveals itself to be one of the fun. Because I mean, Manziel was just an a, a unbelievable bust of an and was no, This was the we weird. Thought, but I mean, it might be good. Like he did no, look right, so it's a thing. He he was fun, but I remember like there was no 
like there were so many red flags around that guy. Not he even, had all oh. the character issues that like you didn't have to like turn over. And also rocks. nobody was. You he, just had to go on the internet. And he was the quintessential college QB of like, oh, he just does what the coach tells him to do. He runs very simple plays. Uh, they're powered by athleticism and like scheme. Yeah. Like and so there's nothing about his game that would have translated to the NFL. Um, and yet there were a lot of teams that were committed to that. I think Tebow was a similar situation. So like it, teams get weird around quarterbacks where they're like, hey, maybe this guy will uh you know, even though his ceiling is very clear. Uh, the best moment I mean, of that entire draft, aside from Jerry Jones and all that, was the Browns owner coming on the NFL draft and saying, Yeah. A homeless guy in downtown Cleveland told me to make the pick, the Johnny Manziel pick. And he was doing that as like, it was divine providence. I knew at that moment I had to go and get Manziel. Oh, my God. Honestly, <laughs> the, most, the most shocking thing about draft day might be the fact that Jerry Jones isn't in it. That's, I mean, that's true. I mean, the guy who's the Browns <laughs> owner is a little Jerry Jones-ish, isn't he? So make a splash. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, but you're right. Like, I don't understand how he, Goodell has like three scenes. I don't know how yeah. Jerry Jones isn't all over this movie. Um, yeah, how we're, I cannot believe that he doesn't have any sort of like bit role in this, you know, whatsoever. Because you know all the reporting about the hierarchy of the owners themselves, in which they have their own, yep. you know, elite hierarchy, is that. Jerry Jones is at the top of that. Like he is the he is the one that is commanding around, you know, the other billionaires in in one direction or or another in terms of like rules or you know acquisitions and uh. So yeah, I don't know. I I, I didn't think about it while watching so, it, but I'm I'm genuinely kind I, of shocked. By the way, hang take. on. I've, go ahead. Well, Kat, to your question, dumbest thing a team's done in the NFL draft. Honestly, I think the Trubisky trade was up there. Oh, it's up. There. <laughs> this was this was like they had what was it? They had third overall. Was it? Um, um, yeah, yeah, they had third and traded up to second yes, with the 49ers. Yes, yeah. For a guy that dumb. nobody was going to take. For a guy that, like, no. and they gave away a lot to get that second pick. Like, they had a great pick. It was, like a, it was like a second and a third rounder. Like, it was a decent amount of draft capital. And, like, put aside what we know about Watson now. It was a, a draft in which a Clemson Deshaun Watson. Quarterback yeah, they should have taken Mitch Deshaun Trubisky. Watson. And Mahomes right, is all right, hindsight. Right. He was very raw and probably the bear. He would have yeah, been a total yeah. boss for the I don't, Bears, but. I don't. I don't blame the Bears for not taking Mahomes. I do blame the Bears for not taking. But trading Again, up I, for very Trubisky. clearly. <laughs> I know this is. It's like one of those things where you're like, I am so good at assessing talent. I have found this guy that nobody's going to see him coming. But also, maybe they've seen him coming, and I better give away the farm to make sure that's I the, get that's it. That's the. That's the thing. Like uh, maybe that uh, you know. I don't know if this. The history of this script is interesting because it was on. The uh, what they call like the Hollywood blacklist for a number of years, um, which are basically a list at the end of the year that, you know, this group puts together of like unproduced screenplays like, hey, this is the best of the best that somehow didn't make it through the system. And draft day was one of those. That doesn't mean go look up the history of all the the, uh, blacklist uh, movies. It doesn't mean that they turn into to great films, Um but it does make me interested to like go back and like reread like what was the original like scripting of this and like how much it changed between that and like having to go through the machine uh, to get there. But um, yeah, I, I think I think I think you're right, Rob. The Trubisky the Trubisky thing almost 
adds a bit of like when you see the Jaguars, the, the Jaguars uh, GM. I don't know that Ryan Pace was necessarily sitting there like sweating. They're going like, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, but like he definitely got fucking spooked, got some bad information. Yeah. And then traded up to do something he absolutely did not need to do. The correct answer, by the way, is Matt Millen with the Detroit Lions. That was the Detroit Lions and the Matt Millen were the dumbest organization of all time. When they drafted a quarter, I think they drafted a receiver three years in a row um, with high draft picks too, and only one of them panned out. And admittedly, it was Calvin Johnson. But the Detroit Lions under Matt Millen were historically stupid. Well, the the, the uh, Kevin Johnson, uh, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, despite playing for only a fraction <laughs> of the time that a wide receiver would normally participate in the NFL because they were so broken playing for the Lions that they basically quit mm-hmm. and uh, then got into a financial dispute with the organization because he was like, hey, can I have those millions you owe me? And they're like, well, technically, we don't have to give you those millions. Technically. And then he basically like has never come back to do any sort of like the kind of events you would normally do with the organization when you're like one of its highlight players from the last. Ten, ten I'm years. glad that as he Bears so and Vikings fans, we can come together and do what everybody does in the <laughs> NFC North and just dunk on the Lions. Yep. Yeah. Well, hey, their new coach. What is it? What was this whole? Oh, Fuck, the knee biter so far. <laughs> yeah, the knee biter. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah, what? Though? Jared dude- Goff. They're gonna do great this year. <laughs> <laughs> that guy kicks ass compared to Matt Patricia, though. Like Matt well, Patricia sure. seemed like yeah. such a prick and incompetent. Like none of none of the picks that yes. he made uh, as part of the org, and he had a lot of like call sway over like the trades they made and the the, the picks they got. Um, I think something like just an abysmal rate uh, in terms of like guys. Conti- you know, it's like the mark of a decent draft pick. The like ones that basically panned out because the NFL is so tough to stay in. It's like if a guy is still in the league three years after his, he's drafted, like that's a pretty decent like you know outcome for a, for a draft pick. Uh, and I think like under Patricia, like none of the Lions uh, guys like are still in the league. Wow, um, it was just a com- complete like just a like a slide. Talk about like <laughs> talk about making a splash, <laughs> like making a splash in the CFL. I guess. Whee! So uh, to return to like, your original point about this being effective NFL satire, actually, you're right. The NFL can be that dumb. There, there are a lot of mm-hmm. like historical moments where the NFL really is just like, what is going on? I can't even fathom it. Well, and that's the thing. Like watching this, I couldn't help but think like the NFL is basically it's basically wrestling in a lot of ways. Like the del- like like the NFL and wrestling started from sort of similar places in terms of like presence and popularity and like how they were organized. Um, and the early days of, of football look an awful lot like uh, the, the early days of, of wrestling and the NFL, just like things sort of break their way and things work out and the game when it's good is, is very, very good. Um, but not that many people involved have ever been like, smart or talented you know what i mean like not not the people running it um and i think that's the thing like this movie it's so weird this movie on the one hand with that soundtrack and the 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 edits with the you know bring the 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 
no, I guess they wouldn't have been drone shots this time. Uh, maybe, but like, you know, helicopter shots, of like the team's practice fields and facilities and everything's all the glitz and glamour of the NFL. And this idea of all these guys are just sharks. They're just ruthless, hyper competent sharks just have to screw each other. And then the last <laughs> act of the movie, it's like, Oh yeah, like fully half these guys are dumbasses. Like <laughs> half these guys, including our like, hero. Yeah, but he turns it back on the Seahawks and forces them to give back his draft picks. And the movie ends um, with him having. By the way, all the family suffers resolved. He decides he's ready to be a dad. I guess it'll be great. So what you're saying and- is that draft day is just one long unintentional self own by the NFL that they think is just at great advertising. Yeah, pretty much. But but here's the thing. It's also an own on us because the thing is, this is what fandom is. Like you come out of December being like, that team fucking sucks and I'm not watching football. I'm done. I'm done. The, the, the team sucks. The ownership sucks. It's never going to be better than this. I'm done. And that's somehow this is, this is quite literally how many conversations did Rob and I have <laughs> that exactly echoed those same things when we were waiting for uh, uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace to both be fired after getting blown out by the Packers and then sneaking into the just taking a shit somehow uh, falling into the playoffs and then also getting your ass kicked to be like, OK, they're going to fire them. And then they didn't. And it was truly just like, I can't. Yeah, I can't. I know but- I'm going to watch this again. Because I'm weak. But somehow, um, and I've- by September, you're at the end of draft day where, like, the music's coming up and the team is in the tunnel and it's all those good draft picks. Like, there's your star running back. There's your franchise quarterback who's better than before. There's your dominant <laughs> defensive back. And they're all hyped and they're ready to go out there and win all because the team did the right things in the offseason. And now they're going to reward your faith. And they run out there into the light. Um, and then, of course, in the real NFL, fully half those guys suffer season-ending injuries uh, in the first, like, three games this season. And that's it. Uh, that's that's the era. But- I was actually pretty hyped after this Vikings offseason, believe it or not, even with Kirk Cousins as our quarterback. Because it's like we got our left tackle as a future and our guard. And we got Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Cook. It's going to be a great season. All of our defense is coming back. Our freaking left tackle has been hurt since we drafted him. <laughs> I mean, that's just oh, how mean, it goes. Bears drafted a star tackle um, who they were like, he's a little, his back is a little sore. Don't worry about it. Oh, just yeah, it's a fine. Little, it's just fine. It's a little achy. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's getting just, surgery. Just, what? <laughs> Don't worry, minor surgery. Most guys, it doesn't even using all of the vertebrae in his back, but it'll be okay. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, this is. Can I also. With Mike Zimmer, of course, you got to get hype about the line picks. Because if that line doesn't come together, you're fucked. Because Mike Zimmer, Uh no matter what is happening, he's going to be like, some bitch, we should just run the ball more. Like he yeah. could be no, no matter what is happening, he'll be like, "Hey, I'm 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 pro Mike Zimmer at the moment because his just complete, uh, he's just so tired of it's people just, just not getting a fucking shot, yeah. and like the way he just is throwing folks like Kirk Cousins and others under the bus constantly, where he's telling reporters, "Do you want to know who's unvaccinated? Get here early, point your cameras over there, and those people waiting in line, they're the ones that are not." 
uh, vaccinated. It's just like what you have the, the yin and yang of like Zimmer in which uh, his kicker misses a field goal and he's going to spend all the post game press conference being like, I fucking hate kickers. <laughs> They're fucking pieces of shit. Like, go look up. Like, he is like, Such a prick. there isn't a person who hates kickers more than Mike Zimmer. Now, granted, I know he's had, there have been some really cursed. Like I remember the Seahawks uh, Vikings like playoff kick, kick miss. Like I, I I get it. Like I understand. Like you're and a hey, Bears I was fan. In person. Double doing. I was I was I was in person. I paid you at the game. Decent. Yeah, I was oh, no. at the game with my wife, my brother in law, my actual brother holding hands. We were behind the field goal <gasps> post. Uh, they was oh, kicked God. at me. Um, it's actually one of my greatest memories. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be talking about that for decades. <laughs> it was so you much better it. that they. That they lost in that fashion uh, because they were just going to lose the next game anyway, like knowing everything I know about this team now. And so like to be able to say I was at the double doink game is actually like a better life story. It is. So this is what I'll say about um, fandom. Okay. The thing hmm. that – so this year the Vikings have really revealed themselves as not a very likable team. Because <laughs> Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, and Harrison Smith, three of their most notable stars – are all freaking anti-vaxxers who are going yeah, on and good. on about their freedom. It's like, I liked Adam Thielen, but it turns mm-hmm. out the less I knew about Adam Thielen, the better. It was better when you were an undrafted free agent. Yeah. That was just it's a like, it was, your surprise. story was great. Oh, you're terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> the no thing I, that- knew Kirk, I knew Kirk was like this dead-eyed, dead-eyed mannequin who was just trying to pretend to be human. I already knew he was bad, but... To have these other guys come out and just prove themselves to be freaking wretched. And for the Vikings to be one of the lowest vaccinated teams in the entire league just really took the wind out of my sails and made it so hard to be excited about this upcoming season. I feel so bad for dudes like Ron Rivera, who like Mm -hmm. their whole career is like players like them. Um, You know, like they listen. Yeah. But isn't it? But 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 doesn't it also like sort of undermine a lot of the entire pitch of like a movie yeah like draft day which is actually uh like no they don't have a lot of control no. over Ron all this. Rivera it's all sorts of it's all sorts of Ron Rivera has cancer cancer like yeah. like 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 survived that like had surgery last season and like did a public plea being like my players could fucking kill me but also you know what he's still doing coaching the team uh, you know you know what i mean like it's in, in like I, I obviously feel bad for him which those players would respect what he went through but he's also like well still here gotta be the nfl coach like gotta be here gotta do this um because it's all those people know how only to do. 32 people um, get to do it yeah yep. to bring it full circle a little bit if this is a, a picture of the culture of the nfl like i, I could kind of see it because Every time I've gotten close to the actual reality of the NFL, like I I went to the Madden Bowl some years ago when the Super Bowl was in San Francisco, you start to realize that when you're actually up close to it, it's all very dumb and it's obsessed mm-hmm. with size and it's all very superficial and you have a lot of stone like stone chin dudes with buzz cuts who are clearly not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And yet, and yet, and all they can talk about is how the the NFL is their life and brotherhood, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, okay, calm down. And if you want to see all of that culture embodied, just play Madden NFL. 
and you'll just start to feel like a little dirty. And you're like, why, why am I engaging with this? And, you know, draft day comes closer to capturing the essence of that than maybe a lot of media that's around the NFL. Well, maybe it, it better captures the lie. Yes. Right. But it's not just a lie that is like propaganda by the league. It's also the lie that fans tell themselves and yeah. not just folks like ourselves that are like hyper aware of the contradictions and, you know, the, the bad actors and, and folks like, but just like, what do fans tell them? What is the tale that they tell themselves? What is, what is part of growing up? Like, why, why are you a fan of the Vikings? Like, why are we a fan of the bears? It's irrational. Like, it's not like, but it's also kind of part of the fun. Like, why am I a bears fan? Because I like being tortured. Like the arbitrary nature of it, is what I like. Like, I like the, like, it's not what I would have picked, but I like, I like that. And like, that's all part of the legend that we pass to like our, our family and the friends we're around. And that is true of like a draft day is like, it does on some level, if maybe by accident, I don't necessarily intend to give the movie credit for it, capture some of that lie. And in doing so reveals a lot of truth about like fans and fandom. If you want to know, if you want the NFL encapsulated, it's the scene where the camera lingers on the Papa John's pizza boxes. Yes. And in the war room. And they're like, I just love eating Papa John's pizza right before making a draft. Sometimes I eat too much pizza. Just that Papa John's just so good. I can't stop. It helps me with my anxiety. Well, Papa John's won't be that- associated with anything weird, weird in the near future. There was an interview uh, with... Ivan Reitman, where they were like, so what was it like to work with the NFL? And they're like, well, the NFL was pretty uh, pretty chill about the way it depicted them, but they were very adamant that they had to get all of their products in. Like, all of their advertisers huh. had to be in the movie. So that's like all the cars, the phones, the pizza brands, very, very deliberate. Oh, man, that's, that's why that Verizon, like, phone, mm-hmm. like, ringtone goes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That is, and that's, and that's draft day, uh, a, a, a revealing lie, uh, let us say a very, a very revealing, uh, attempt at a flattering self-portrait by the NFL. And yet God help me. Uh, there's just, as with all Kevin Costner sports movies, there's just something about it, uh, that, that wins me over. <laughs> he's good. He's, he, he's so I, earnest. He has, yeah, he's earnest. He has a gravitas about him that like the movie doesn't work like for whatever level it does work on that is separate from like our fine, like the point we just made about like it being like a telling lie. Like if you have like feel any emotional stakes in the movie, it is only because he is like putting it all on his shoulders and like finding a way to make it happen. That combined is like equal him. And then like the violins and the soundtrack, like those two are working in concert to make you feel like you are emotionally manipulated into caring. Uh, so before we go, we're all agreed. Green Bay is going to be like going to win the NFC North. Yeah. Year in, year out. Kat, you, you agree? Even this year? My fantasy team has Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones on it. <laughs> and I kind of so you're 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 invested in the last dance from a from a fantasy perspective. I, I drafted I draft my teams around the notion of like okay I'm making a bet that these teams are going to be good, 
So it can either be one thing. Either the Packers are going to have one last ride and they're going to make it to the playoffs and they're going to blow it in the NFC title game, as they always do. Mm-hmm. Or there's going to be just an absolute shit show and it's going to be hilarious and I'm going to enjoy every second of it. God, I'm, I'm pulling for shit show. <laughs> Let's, go. Let's go. I don't think... So who? What? how do you think the teams finish after that? Oh, uh, I think the Vikings are going to be bad this year. I, I think this is Zimmer's last ride. I think... Uh, I just... I have no faith in them this year. So... I'm going to say that it's going to go Packers, Bears, Lions, Vikings this year. Wow. Yeah. All right. Because, yeah, I, I think I think it's Packers, Vikings. Bears, but this is also revealing our own shitty. But when the Vikings collapse, little- they collapse like like 2010. It wasn't just it was like biblical. The freaking roof collapsing. <laughs> they traded for Randy Moss and then they cut him. After he went crazy in a buffet or something, everybody hates Brad Childress, Percy Harvin's throwing weights at people. It was crazy. That's what happens when the Vikings (laughs) fall apart. They just, they really fall apart. I, so I'm at Packers, Vikings, Lions, Bears. Wow, you're in a deep pit of despair over Andy Dalton. I think... I think the Bears. I think Matt, I think Matt Nagy is is awful. That's where I, yeah. I'm at this now. is so. I think first of all, it's not been a good off season in terms of getting this team ready to play. No. Like they are. Do you see the injury report today? It's not good. Yeah. Like the defense no. is starting to run. Eddie Goldman uh, isn't going to be uh, playing. Y'all this don't weekend. have any like, receivers. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, and the the only one that we have, we refuse to offer him a good contract. So that's always good. Well, we you can just, just find another one. He's getting tagged, so in the end, he's going to come out of this with just buckets of cash. <laughs> uh, Bears are going to be so cheap; they're going to end up paying him uh, a king's ransom. Um, no, but I'm just like I think the Bears, like all the pieces there for this, to be a catastrophic season, and I think it will be. Uh, you got I think fields, you know that. I think like it goes one. Four. I think it goes one. Of, Week four, Dalton is going to get hurt or he's going to get benched or something and Fields is going to come on. He's going to have that game where he's running like crazy and you're going, oh, my God, he just ran for 55 yard touchdown. This is insane. Do you see that that cannon of an arm? This is amazing. And then the Bears overnight become such a fun team. See, I think that's I think it's only it's it's only one of two ways there. I don't think this there's any possibility to like. What the team has been frequently for the last couple of years, it was just like middle of the line mediocrity in which you'd rather just bottom out and like get a better draft pick. I think it's either exactly like how Cat says it is, which is Fields comes in and maybe they don't make the playoffs, but damn, like it's a really fun ride. And you're like, wow, it turns out if you have like an exceptional quarterback, it covers up like the Chiefs have drafted like shit for the last like three or four years. Like a lot can happen when you have like that kind of quarterback or it's what Rob said, which is they're going to bottom out, be terrible. We get to the end of the year and realize we don't have a first round draft pick next year. Well, I think, I think hopefully at least feels look pretty good. I think feels will probably look good. I just think that it will be like, he'll come in and it'll be like, yep, he's great. Can't reverse the trajectory of the season. Um, right. And right, so right, right. I think it'll be, but at least it'll that's be interesting. That's, the bears have been so boring. Yeah. These past few yeah. years, Dude, after that I first agree. year with Mac, they've been so boring. Yep. At least you'll have something where like, 
I want to see what happens, right? Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you. That, and that's where I was before the Fields thing happened because, it's, the, 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 for some reason, the Broncos and like for some reason, Vic Vangio wants to get fired from the Broncos and didn't take uh, Fields, and instead has your boy Teddy Bridgewater, who seems he's he's he seems extremely nice. I'm glad that his career didn't end. Yeah, but I don't know that he's ever going to be anything more than like a high end backup or a low end starter. You know, I'm was, still sitting here though being like maybe the Saints should have given him the job. Yeah, I think so. Instead they gave it to Jameis, who is an objectively terrible person. Well bad person, but he does throw it every time for eighty yards. And just fumbles? He's never boring. He's could gonna, go anywhere. Yeah, he's never he throws throw eighty like yards. Somewhere. 30 interceptions or something? Yes. Yeah. He was a thirty for thirty in real life. Amazing. I yeah, I don't know. Like just should have kept Teddy in there uh, and just been like, Drew, keep icing that arm. Just keep icing that arm. <laughs> uh, get strong, Drew. You're going to you're going to lead us. You're going to lead us in the playoffs. But just you got to heal up, buddy. Um, yeah. So I, I think I'm I'm excited for the season. But at the same time, like uh, it's going to be a weird season. Also, like- I'm, I'm honestly rooting for the Lions to be OK. Like I'm <laughs> I'm like, I hope that weirdo ends up being just this like weirdly compelling like what is this because then it's a sitcom then it's like it's basically at that point major league where or or the producers i guess where it's like we're gonna hire the worst possible guy and he's gonna come in and just like own it it's gonna be great oh i'd be into that i I think the lions actually being good would be a refreshing change of pace because that only happens like once every like 20 years or something like that Mm -hmm. also i have a wild soft spot for detroit so like okay yeah i'd like detroit a lot um so i'm always like man i hope that city gets the things it deserves sure uh instead of what so (laughs) i can be the rust belt city that we're nice to after i just mercilessly tore apart cleveland (laughs) which by the way please spare me your your hate mail okay I don't want to read your hate mail about Cleveland, about how Cleveland is actually good. We know we, yeah, uh, we all we all know how good Cleveland is. You don't need to tell us um, the jewel of the Eastern Midwest. Uh, and with that, I think we can call it a day. Uh, our music is by Two Mellow, who's working and find at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. You can keep up with everything we do at waypoint.vice.com and follow us on Twitter at Waypoint. As always, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Let the world know about these five-star podcasts with five-star runtimes. And be sure to tell all your friends and your enemies, too, about Waypoint Plus, uh, which brings you fine podcasts like this one. Uh, We'll be back soon with something else for the Waypoint Plus feed. (laughs) We have to figure out what that is. Well, like the, when this goes up, uh, we're recording this the day when a plus the the uh, Super Metroid 101 went up, and this goes up a week later. So, uh, yeah. What if know. by the time people are hearing this, like they already put Fields in at halftime on Sunday oh night? Oh my god! And the miraculous Bears, three touchdown comeback. Yeah, we'll, we'll look like such schmucks if that happens. We will add an addendum to this podcast. Yeah, we'll record. You, you and I will get back to get. It's Fields <laughs> yes. for real. Bears win why is Super this Bowl? podcast? Why is this draft day podcast four and a half hours? <laughs> uh, anyway, you'll be able to catch all of it on the Waypoint Plus feed, uh, and uh, keep your eyes out for more podcasts. Uh, I think we're going to be trying to do one more Waypoint after dark uh, before too long, and then yes. we're going to continue manhunting. 
Uh, and we're going to finally watch around. Patrick, you're not getting out of this one. We're going to watch Michael Mann's The Keep. Ooh. Oh, yes, let's go. So uh, keep your eye, keep your eyes peeled for that. Keep keep listening uh, for for that podcast. I will keep my eyes oh. peeled for that. <laughs> but uh, but until then, I think Frank Langella said it best. We had a great day. <laughs> they, oh, they're all their hands are up. Oh, did we lose Rob? We lost Rob. Rob DM me to, to pause for a second. All right, Rob's internet dipped. It's a great expression. It was. Uh uh, and it's a it's a common Rob uh expression. And so I, I just assumed he was he had just assumed the position. Right in the middle of my rant, Rob. Appreciate it. It's a good rant. Rob's internet. Thank you. Uh, can't we use I a- am recording and everything looks good on my end. I have crazy office jealousy here. Oh, like, yeah. oh man, the little, the little, uh, like damper on the mic, the <laughs> screen behind, like that's, that's yeah. a setup. Oh, thank you. This is actually, this used to be the little back room where we just put an extra TV, but we've kind of slowly but surely turned it into a decent podcasting space of re- of late, so. Yeah, nice. see, I'm in the process of doing that, but unfortunately, it's my living room, uh, oh. and so every step I, was gonna say, I take. I was so cla- classy. I'm expecting you to be playing a, a record back there, wearing a smoking jacket. You know, the whole the whole. Well, yeah. there, some well, of the out, some of the outfits that Rob has come on the the podcast for. I mean, like you're not far off. Like this is actually <laughs> a more. Uh, I you have one of your robes somewhere, uh, Rob. I'm I'm a little it's upset we didn't. It's we're not graced jacket. with your. Uh, it looks like a presence. set from Deathloop. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I need to start uh, playing that, that this weekend. Yeah, yeah I'm looking same. forward to it. All right. Um. So we're all recording. Uh, let's go to time. Dot is. It's a website where we clap. I think I made Cat go through this the last time. Did you? Uh, okay. She was on three MA. Oh right, 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 right. Okay, I am here. All right, and we will clap on 36. Okay. Perfect. <laughs>